Thank you, Mark. It's a joy to be back at um, uh, Faith Bible Church and uh, reconnect with your pastor, his wife, and you as a congregation. It's always a joy. Um, a man who was in therapy uh, went on vacation with his wife and uh, sent a postcard to his uh, psychologist, and it, the words were written on the postcard, having a great time, uh, I wish you were here to explain why. And um, Rich and I are having a great time, and you don't need to explain why, because as Mark said, uh, we love Mark and Cheryl and their boys and their family. Uh, God uh, brought us together like David and Jonathan many years ago, knit our hearts together. And um, I, I was actually reading uh, some of Mark's stuff back in Belfast as a pastor, never dreaming that someday... I would be a friend of this author whose books have enriched me and been a voice for premillennialism all across the world. And so it's, it's just a treat. I remember coming across something years ago, um, the best of friends make you a better friend with God. And uh, Mark and Cheryl have been that to June and I. Uh, my uh, middle daughter, Laura, has grown in her friendship with Cheryl and enjoys that immensely. So we just uh, love the Hitchcocks, salute their ministry here at Faith Bible. It's, it's a rare thing today to have a pastor in a pulpit this long who's still beloved by his congregation, still fresh, still impactful, still effective, and maybe some of his best years still ahead of him. That's a unique thing, and uh, you should celebrate that. And I know that he can't do that without you. You've been the kind of congregation that has honored that kind of faithfulness. And as a pastor, I salute you and thank you for your faithfulness to your leaders. Uh, you let them do the ministry with joy. That's the first thing I'm, uh, I don't need anybody to explain, just spending a weekend with Mark and Cheryl. Secondly, getting a tour of your facilities. Wow, uh, what a joy to see what Bruce and the team have done. Uh, so tasteful, so modern, so inviting. What a platform for the gospel. What a tool for the kingdom of God. And uh, if you've had any part in it, no doubt you've been giving, uh, praying. Uh, it's to your credit. This is a beautiful facility that will hopefully until Jesus comes be a lighthouse for the gospel in this community. Thank you again for your generosity, faithfulness. And uh, I was thinking about Nehemiah. Uh, it says as Nehemiah accomplished his building project, he looks back and he says that the good hand of God was upon us. And I think the good hand of God is upon faith. And then uh, that, that would be enough. But then, you know, yesterday, uh, OU and OSU won their college football games. And for that, I'm really thankful too. So it's all reasons to give thanks. You're going, but OSU got beat. No, they didn't. Ohio State University won. And, and um, so it's been a great weekend. And um, I, just, I just love being here. And to OU, thank you for that running back, Sherman. He's turning out to be a good guy. You guys may rue the day you get rid of him, but we'll wait and see. Anyway, back to more serious stuff. Take your Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 1. And I do bring greetings from Kindred Community Church. They know about you, think about you. Mark uh, is, is in our pulpit on a regular basis, almost annually too. And uh, so maybe we just need to twin up. Uh, we'll be your West Coast campus, and you be our kind of Southwest campus. And and we'll do things together for Christ. Uh, let's honor God's Word by standing. Joshua 1, verses 1 to 9. I want to speak today on the subject, facing a new day. Facing a new 
day. My assumption is in a congregation this size and second service combined with first service, those that are joining us online, that many of you are facing a new day. Uh, some of you are going to be first-time mothers, uh, like my daughter Angela. Uh, some of you are transitioning in your, your jobs. Uh, we're all adjusting continually to the adjustments of of, of, of COVID. Maybe the doctor has given you a report that's recalibrated your life physically. All kinds of things bring about transitions in our lives and, and challenges in our lives and announce a new day that requires perhaps new faith on our part, um, perseverance, boldness, endurance, whatever. I think Joshua 1 verses 1 to 9 will help you and I to um, transition through our transitions. Uh, let's read God's Word together. <clears throat> I usually read from the New King James, but this morning I've got an ESV with me. Uh, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's a lot. There's a lot of stuff in that little statement. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I, have, I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So reads God's Word, and you may be seated. Um, as I said, I'm speaking this morning on facing the new day, Joshua 1, verses 1 to 9. I, I like the story of a, a coat store in Nottingham, England, and a notice that was posted on the shop window. Here's what it said. We have been established for over 100 years and have been pleasing and displeasing customers ever since. We have made money and lost money, suffered the effects of coal nationalization, coal rationing, government control, and bad payers. We have been cussed and disgusted, messed about, lied to, held up, robbed, and swindled. The only reason we stay in business is to see what happens next. <laughs> Facing a new day, Embracing tomorrow, waiting to see what happens next. That's always a challenge. 
And perhaps it's a challenge you're facing, as I said a few moments ago, maybe a transition in your career, maybe you're moving out of state, maybe um, the doctor has uh, given you a prognosis that's recalibrated your life, maybe you're about to be a first-time mother. There's some, there's some um, river Jordan you're crossing, some, some transition you're making, and it's challenging to face a new day. It's challenging to embrace tomorrow. It's challenging to wonder what's going to happen next. And such was the challenge facing Joshua. Moses had died, right? Verse 2. And upon his death, Joshua had been picked by God. He had actually been inaugurated by Moses sometime earlier. After 30 days of mourning, the passing of this great leader Moses, Joshua now turns his face towards a bright new day where he is to lead the people of God across a swollen Jordan River to possess the land of Canaan, which God had promised both Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his predecessor, Moses. It's a new day for Joshua, with all its attendant problems, pressures, possibilities. And if I was to put it in an historical context, it was no longer enough for the people of God to have escaped Egypt. It was time now to enter into Canaan. It was time now to embrace the full promise of God. It was a new day that God wanted to dawn over the life of the nation of Israel. And we're going to see how God promises to be with Joshua in this new day where he is to face this overwhelming challenge. But before I get there, let me again just kind of paint in the background, um, build the historical set upon which this drama unfolds. If you're taking notes, I just want you to know the context of Joshua 1 verses 1 to 9 is a time of transition. We, we know that, right? After the death of Moses, that's transition. That's a turning of a page. Moses is dead. An era has come to an end. A glorious, notorious era has come to an end. One of the leading figures in the Bible has died he is a leading figure in the preceding four books in the Bible. Joshua wasn't just following a leader. He was following a legend. That's pretty intimidating. Moses was um, a great emancipator. Moses was a great lawgiver. Moses was a great miracle worker. He had been a prophet who had spoken uh, for God uh, to the people, and he is a prophet whom God had spoken to face to face. These were big shoes to fill. And, and Joshua knew he was no Moses. Don't forget he was Moses' assistant, right? We read that in verse 1. So he had a ringside seat across all that had taken place with Moses, or at least much of it. And so he understood what God was calling him to do. Leadership transitions are never easy, especially if the former leader has been there long, has been effective, and is beloved by the people. The guy that follows him is usually the sacrificial lamb. You don't want to be the guy that follows Nick Saban at Alabama. You want to be the guy that follows the guy after Nick Saban at Alabama. Because 
If you don't, you'll deal with immediate comparisons. You'll deal with the lionizing of the former leader. You'll deal with the grief of the people in his absence. You want to be the second guy. But Joshua is the second guy. And he's got to feel that. There's not only a time of transition. Secondly, there's a context of complacency. The context is spiritual stagnation, okay? Um, they're, they're, they're on the borders of blessing once again. They're up against the River Jordan. Jericho's on the other side. Canaan awaits. Remember, this is their inheritance. This is what God has promised the line of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been promised they would inherit this land and their descendants. Moses was promised that. And we're told here that indeed Joshua's job is nigh to be strong, courageous. Verse 6, and cause the people to inherit what God had sworn to their fathers. That's a challenge because he is to succeed where Moses failed. He is to do what no one has done in 40 years. And that's get across the Jordan where they begin to possess their possessions because they had been frankly going around in circles in the wilderness. I like what um, Southern Baptist Paul W. Powell says about this time. He says this Israel had made two mistakes. Uh, the context is, remember, they got to the border of blessing once before. They sent spies in. Uh, the majority were unbelieving. The people turned back, and, and everything got stalled. And a context of complacency set in. Paul Powell says Israel made two mistakes. The first was to send out the spies. You don't appoint a committee to check out God and what He has promised. The second mistake was to follow the committee's recommendation. Promised lands are never taken by committee or the recommendations of a majority vote. Promised lands are taken by a few people who dare to trust God, who have a bold faith in God. And so Paul Powell finishes with this. The straightest route from Egypt to Israel is approximately 200 miles if the children of Israel had taken it, they would have been in the promised land in 11 days. Think about that. Instead, they wandered over 700 miles for 40 years of desert. And when you calculate that, that's an average of 20 miles a year or 100 yards a day. Bottom line, they weren't going anywhere. The work of God was stalled. The people of God stagnant. And into that context of complacency, Joshua is asked to come and indeed um, lead the people of God to do what they have not yet done. He was to be brave, audacious, unafraid, commanding. It was a time to cross over at the place between field, the field past and the better future. That's a challenging place to be, isn't it? To cross over between those two spots, a field past and a better future. That does need courage. That does need audacity. Um, I don't know if you know this story or Mark has used it, but someone once suggested that rowing 
become part of the Clemson University's sports menu or their athletic program. And the then athletic director, Frank Howard, said no to that in these words. We're not going to have any sport here at Clemson where you sit down and go backwards. And I think that's where the people of God had been for a while. They were sitting down and they were going backwards. Or to change the metaphor, they were just going round in circles, which is as bad as backwards. So that's where we're at as we come to look at this facing a new day. If I was to summarize what Joshua is dealing with when God asked him to lead the people of God across the River Jordan, Israel was still in the wilderness, leaderless, down a generation, prey to their enemies, and without one acre of the land God had promised their fathers. That's not an easy reality to face and surmount. And yet, God says to Joshua, I want you to do that. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, have you, in the Bible, that with God's commands comes God's promises? God rarely in the Bible gives a command without a promise. I think it was Warren Wearsby said that with God's commandments comes God's enablements. When God says go, He's not sending us somewhere, He's taking us somewhere. When God says do, He's not asking us to do something for Him, He's promising to do something for us or through us. And so God says to Joshua, do, lead the people to inherit the land, but God is also promising to do something through him. He's not asking him to go somewhere. He's telling him he's going to take him somewhere, and that's to possess the land of Canaan. His courage was bolstered by the promise of God's presence. Look at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So in the light of that, be courageous, be strong, follow my word, lean on my promises, don't be frightened, verse 9, don't be dismayed, I'm with you wherever you go. Joshua was to move ahead in the name of God, dependent on his strength and upheld by his promise. This is the promise of God's presence. I will not leave you or forsake you. Um, I had a pastor friend back in Northern Ireland who pastored a little Baptist church there up in Port Rush, and it was a small church congregation of only a couple of dozen people at the time, and uh, it was up bumping up against the Christmas and New Year holidays when the deacons met with the pastor, Richard Rennie, to have a conversation about whether it wouldn't be a good idea to cancel the Bible study and prayer meeting on a Wednesday night between Christmas and New Year. That's just how the calendar fell. And the deacons were arguing, you know, given the size of our congregation, we're meager on any good day. Maybe it's a good thing to just shut her for a week, give everybody a break, and we'll catch up on the other side of New Year. Well, Richard Rennie wasn't having any of it. He was adamant that they should continue to meet for prayer and Bible study. So after a long discussion, the deacon said, Pastor, you know what? We respect uh, what you want to do, but look, we're just going to be honest. We're not going to be there just to be up front so that you're not disappointed. And don't be disappointed if other people don't turn up either. So after the new year, they come back and one of the deacons goes up to Pastor Rennie and asked him, well, how many people went to the Bible study and prayer meeting? And with a smile on his face, he said, there was six of us. 
There was myself, my wife, and the organist, and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, we could put that down to an old stubborn traditionalist who couldn't play with the calendar. Or we could just put it down that this man was so God-besotted that God's company was enough. God's presence was enough. And certainly here we have the promise of God's presence with Joshua. So let's look at the text. Really going to concentrate on verse 5 and go in a few directions with it that I think will encourage you as you transition through your transitions, as you face a new day. Number one, the promised presence of the God who abides. If you're taking notes, write down that Joshua received the promised presence of the God who abides. Look at verse 5. No man shall stand before you And just as I, circle this, I was with Moses, so I will be, circle that with you. I was, I will be. Now, that's not true of Moses. (laughs) He's no longer what he was. He's dead. And Joshua won't remain as he is because life doesn't allow that, and the aging process just makes that impossible. None of us can say, as I was, I will be. In fact, as Christians, our joy is able to say, what I'm not, I will be. For when Jesus appears, I will be like him. It does not yet appear what I shall be. But as terms of God, his eternality, his immutability, the fact that he doesn't change, God can say this, as I was, I will be. That's beautiful. That's good. In the middle of your transitions, facing a new day, whatever that uh, challenge is that either life or God has set before you, it's a wonderful thing to enter into that challenge or that season or that change with this thought that, well, you know what? God abides. I mean, the the greater Joshua, the Lord Jesus, what do we read about him in Hebrews 13, 8? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What about Revelation 1 verse 8, speaking of God's nature? Uh, the apostle John came to encounter a God who, wa- who was and is and is to come. See, that's the language of God's eternality. That's the language of God's immutability. God has had no beginning. God will have no end. He abides from everlasting to everlasting. He's the same. What about Psalm 102 verse 25 maybe to reinforce this thought. These are beautiful words. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. It's a wonderful thought to know that we are being watched over, loved by, and supplied on the behalf of a God who abides, who abides faithful to His Word, who doesn't change in His nature. I I like the words of the great Reformed uh, theologian Herman Bavink. He said this about God's nature, every change is foreign to God. You may be changing God hasn't. Our nation may be changing. God hasn't. History turns many corners. 
But God hasn't changed. Every change is foreign to God. In Him there is no change in time, for He's eternal, nor in location, for He is omnipresent, nor in essence, for He is pure being. Or to put it another way, like A.W. Tozer, God, he says this about God, he cannot go from better to worse. You cannot think of God being any less holy than he is now, any less righteous than he is now. God must remain infinitely holy, fixed, forever unchanging in holiness. He cannot go from worse to better for the simple reason that God, being absolutely holy, cannot go beyond himself. I love that. It's a great thing to get up in the morning or to go to bed at night or to live in between those two experiences with the thought, you know, right now, God's not getting any worse and God's not getting any better. His love is unchanged. His grace and His mercy endure forever. His promise is true. There's a fixedness about God. God abides uncaused, unchanged, unchallenged. His love remains. His patience persists. His sovereignty continues. His power surges. His word stands forever. That should get an amen. Amen? That's why John Calvin said this. This is worth writing down, memorizing. Uh, You know, I'm not into tattoos, but if I had a tattoo, this might be what I would put on my tattoo. God is always like himself. That's what John Calvin said. God is always like himself. Come on, you and I go, three or f- go three or through three or four moods in a given day, some of us even before breakfast. We're changing. We're not the same. We, we're not always dependable. We're not always loving. We're not always gracious. We're not always our best self. But Calvin would remind us, God is always like himself. And that's what God is saying to Joshua. Moses is dead, an era has ended, and your day has dawned. Things are changing, but not me. And as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. The God who abides will abide with you. That's a wonderful thing as you and I begin a new start afresh. That's a wonderful fixed reality and resource in our life that fosters courage and provides hope. I don't know if you know anything about the story of Gladys Aylward. If you don't, you should. Wonderful woman of God. You've maybe watched the old movie. If you haven't, you should sit down and watch it with your kids. The End of the Sixth Happiness. It's about her story as a missionary in China. Well, towards the end uh, of part of her missionary work there, the Japanese invaded China, uh, or at least annexed a part of China. And, And after a while, Gladys Aylward, with many of the orphans she had been ministering to, decided she needed to get out of Yangchen. But the way to free China was over a range of mountains, uh, but she had to do it. She was faced with a Hobson's choice. And so they, she took off with a hundred kids. You can imagine the, 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 the daunting sense of responsibility, the challenges she anticipated, and they did. In fact, along the way, she came to a dark place. And sitting down in a little bit of a funk, uh, down on herself in the circumstances. Um, a little girl, one of the orphan uh, uh, adopted girls came along and reminded her of a story she had told them many, many times, the story of Moses leading the people of God out of Egypt and into uh, the promised land and across the Red Sea. And um, Gladys Aylward thanked her for that, but in a moment of desperation, she said, but I'm not Moses. 
To which the little girl replied, of course you're not, but God is still God. Moses, my servant, is dead. And Joshua's got to have said to himself, but I'm not Moses. And God, I think, is saying to him, in fact, clearly saying to him, but God is still God. The God who was with Moses will be with you. Just get it down today that you have the promised presence of the God who abides. Secondly, you've got the promised presence of the God who overrides. The God who overrides. I've kind of focused on, on as I was, so shall I be, something about the nature of God. But you'll notice there's two men mentioned in this text. As I was with Moses, one leader with a certain style and giftedness and uniqueness and was used for a period of time. And then another leader, Joshua, who's got his own giftedness, uniqueness, and is going to be used in a different way. This text bridges two administrations and two different kinds of leaders. As I was with Moses, the former leader, so I will be with you, Joshua, the new leader. Now, we've just made an argument, folks, that God doesn't change, but you'll notice in our text that God manages change. He overrides change. So I like that. God doesn't change, but He's sovereign over change, and He manages change. He overrides all that's going on. A new day had dawned in Israel that required a new leader, and and that new leader was Joshua. Moses was dead, but God's purpose was very much alive. And so God took up Joshua to continue to fulfill His program. Joshua was God's pick, and in fact, if you go to Deuteronomy 31, 1 to 8, you're going to see that, in fact, Moses was involved in his inauguration, his installment. So, so Joshua was God's pick and Moses' pick. And here he's being given this promise of God's abiding presence and overriding presence. He's being reminded that God takes one leader up as he sets another leader down and continues on according to the fulfillment of his purposes and program. You've probably heard Mark say this, or you've heard someone else say it. God buries his workers and carries on his work. That's what's going on here. God buries his workers and carries on his work. It's his work all the time, and he abides and he overrides. Look, this isn't rocket science. The book on Moses' life was closed. The last chapter had been written. The full stop had been added. But the full story of Joshua's life hadn't been written. And his future was wrapped in mystery. The land of Canaan was largely uncharted, and Joshua's leadership mostly unproven. Pretty daunting. There's a lot of acts factors But what was well-known was God's leadership over Moses' leadership. And now God had pledged to do the same for Joshua. I like that. And here's the practical implication of the God who overrides. You see, the the, the God who abides is the God who is a bridge between the living and the dead. And, And He's also the bridge between the past and the future and the different leaders that he uses. Um, He didn't need to be the same as Moses. 
Joshua didn't. He didn't need to be a Moses clone. He just needed to trust the same God as Moses and the fact that God would use him uniquely and individually and use his latent gifts as he did Moses. Joshua was not called to follow an icon. He was called to follow God, the God of the icon, the God who abides and the God who overrides. God raises up leaders across the generations to accomplish particular goals at particular times, and that's what's going on here. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. In fact, God mentions in this text the fathers of the nation of Israel. He mentions in this text Moses, and he mentions in this text Joshua. So here's what's going on in the text in the span of verses 5 and 6. God is saying, I was with them, the fathers of the nation, and I was with him, Moses, and as I was with him, then I'll be with you, Joshua. And he learned two things. He learned his individuality, that God embraced it and would use it, and he learned that God alone is indispensable. So as we talk about the God who overrides facing a new day, this must have encouraged Joshua to be his, be his self, to trust God, uh, not to follow his icon, but to follow the God of his icon. In fact, later on in the text, he'll be told to follow the commandments of Moses, which were the commandments of God. It wasn't about following Moses. It was about following the commandments of God through Moses. But here's a little takeaway for you, me, uh, and anyone else that's listening this morning or in the days to come. Number one, be your best self for God. Number two, don't make an idol of the past. And number three, remember to focus on a sovereign God who alone is indispensable. That's what we see in the God who overrides. Be your best self for God. When God made you, He broke the mold. And God wrote down in His book, your days and your life, and He set the boundaries of your life, and He's got a purpose and a plan for you. He's got works for you to do, that were foreordained according to Ephesians 2 verse 10. So be your best self. Learn from others, follow their example, but be yourself. God has given you gifts at birth and God has given you spiritual gifts at new birth and you need to develop those, discover those, and be your best self for God. That's what Joshua was to remember. And then secondly, don't make an idol of the past. Certainly the past is being spoken of here, as I was with Moses. Moses is dead. There was an era there. But, but Joshua is not to live in the past. He's to learn from the past. In fact, he's going to forge a brand new future. You're going to take the people across where they're going to inherit the land. So Joshua was not to perpetuate the past. He was to forge a new future. He was to worship the same God as Moses, but he wasn't to worship Moses or the way Moses did his thing or accomplished his leadership. Listen to Warren Wearsby. I think this is, this is helpful. A wise leader doesn't completely abandon the past, 
but builds on it as he or she moves towards the future. Moses is mentioned 57 times in the book of Joshua, evidence that Joshua respected Moses and what he did for Israel. Joshua worshiped the same God that Moses had worshiped, and he obeyed the same word that Moses had given to the nation. There was continuity from one leader to the next, but there was not conformity, for each leader is different and must maintain his own individuality. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Now you be your best self. And, and you know what, Joshua? Um, forget the past and, and forge a new future. And then finally, and in the middle of all of that, fix your focus on a sovereign God. Remember that God alone is indispensable. Um, that's the point here. God buries his workers and carries on his work and Joshua is just the next installment of an eternal story. And, and that's encouraging on the one hand and humbling on the other. You never want to get so fixated on yourself or anyone else. They're, in, they're not indispensable, you know? I remember an old pastor in Northern Ireland said, if you want to know how important you are, stick your finger in a bucket of water, pull it out, and whatever's left, that's your significance. Now, that's a little bit of an overplay, right, given we have gifts and we can make an impact, but you get the point. In fact, I can make it better uh, with, with a story regarding John Calvin, who've already quoted that great quote, right? God is always himself. But here's a story about Calvin regarding his burial. I don't know if you know his story. He died on May 27th, 1564, after months of being bedridden, just shy of his 55th birthday. Um, he, he could tell during his lifetime among the Reformers and the Protestant Reformation that it was most likely he would be remembered long after his death and even worried about being venerated in some manner. Don't forget, he had left Catholicism and he had told all the, the, new, the newly born Protestants not to venerate the saints or Mary. And now he began to fear, would Protestants venerate him? And to kind of make sure that didn't happen, or at least what was within his control, he, he uh, left these um, demands that he was to be buried in a pine box in an unmarked grave. We don't know where Calvin's buried. He wanted that because he was frightened that Protestants would make a pilgrimage to his grave because to read Calvin is to come away with a high view of God a sovereign God, a glorious God, a sufficient God, an abiding God. And he wanted the focus to be on the God of the Reformation because he understood God buries his workers and carries on his work. God is overriding each generation. God is abiding. Finally, we have the God who provides. We've got the promised presence of the God who provides. Let's go back to verse 5. Um, and, and let me try and show you this. Now, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That idea of God being with Moses, I don't think we need to read that so woodenly that it's, it's only in terms of God's presence. Well, God was with Moses. He walked with Moses. He never forsook him. No, I think there's a promise here, not only of presence, but provision as I was with Moses sufficiently, so I will be with you. 
See, this verse brings before us God's eternality, God's immutability, God's sufficiency. In fact, the, 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 the grammarians that I read said that the word with has the sense of for. So you could read it like this, as I was for Moses, so I will be for you. Okay, that's, that's echoed in Romans 8, right? Of God is for you. Who can be against you? God is for you. Not only in that He's with you, He's for you in that He will supply all the grace you need to accomplish His will. If you need strength for your weakness, He'll give it. If you need wisdom for your confusion, He'll give it. If you need light for your darkness, He'll give it. If you need courage for your fear, He'll give you it. And you can study the life of Moses. There were failures on the part of Moses, never failure on the part of God. But there are many times where where you see Moses being supplied and provided for by God in a marvelous way. In fact, if you go to Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 21, you're given a description actually of the last um, 40 years of, of wilderness wanderings. And I just want you to notice a little phrase that we'll find in another verse that you find very encouraging. In Nehemiah 9, verse 21, 40 years, speaking of God, you sustained them. That's Moses and the people of God. 40 years you sustained them. God was for Moses. 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. God abides, God overrides, God provides. And he did for Moses. Moses lacked nothing that he needed to do the will of God. And remember, too, that those 40 years were premised upon unbelief, and yet God in His grace made sure they lacked nothing, and now He's brought them to the borders of blessing again. A new day is dawn, and a new leader will take them forward. In fact, interestingly, we don't have time to go here because time's almost up, but write down Exodus 3, verses 14 to 15. That's when God revealed Himself to Moses, which is important to us. Why? Because the God who was with and for Moses will be with and for Joshua. And in Exodus 3, 14 to 15, you know the story. God's going to send Moses to Pharaoh. He's going to announce the liberation of the people of God. And he says, but Lord, if I go to the people of God and say that, you know, I'm now the leader and I'm going to go to uh, Pharaoh and, and ask for permission to leave, uh, the people of God go, you know, uh, who anointed you king and who sent you? What am I going to say? And God says to Moses, tell them that I am, that I am sent you. That's actually the the, the core of the title of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God who is, the I am that I am, the God who has always existed self-sufficiently forever, no beginning, no end. God exists based on the very nature of God Himself. He's dependent on no one. He's derived from nothing. That's, that's the point. And that's the God who is with and for Moses. In fact, you know that he spoke out of the burning bush that, that, that didn't extinguish. And the whole point of God saying to Moses out of the burning bush, which didn't extinguish, I am that I am, is that I am an inexhaustible God. And I'm for you and I'm with you. Now, I, 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 I tease you a little bit that that phrase, lacking nothing, is, is found in a verse you like. And the verse is Psalm 23, verse 1. 
the Lord, capital letters in your English Bible, which means the Yahweh or the God that the I am that I am, the all-sufficient one, all-eternally-existent one. Uh, the, 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 Lord is, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Hebrew construction is very like Nehemiah 9, 27. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I shall not want. And that's a beautiful message both for Joshua and for you and for me. Joshua needed to hear that. Compared to Moses, he must have felt like a child in terms of his stature, knowledge, experience, and attainment. He must have felt ill-equipped for the moment, insufficient for the task. But as I was with Moses, the I am, the sufficient one, the eternally existent one, so I will be with you, for you, for him. And, and that's the thesis of Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord, Yahweh, the all-sufficient one, is our shepherd, parenthesis, and if, if that God, and the nature of that God is our shepherd, then it's logical to conclude we shall not want, because there's no want in Him, and there's no want in those who are in Him and with Him and those for whom He is for. In fact, that can be translated, my shepherd being Yahweh, what shall I lack? You get the theology of that and the logic of it? And that's why the rest of Psalm 23 is an extrapolation of Psalm 23, verse 1. I shall not want, I shall not lack. We will not lack for peace, for he makes us lie down. We will not lack for provision, for he leads us by still waters. We will not lack for hope and encouragement, for he restores our soul. We will not lack for guidance for He leads us along the paths of righteousness. We will not lack for deliverance in tough times, for He'll walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We will not lack companionship, for He is with us. We will not lack for protection. His rod and staff will comfort us. We will not lack for help and healing, for He will anoint our head with oil. We will not lack for abundant life, for His cup overflows. We will not lack for anything good, for His goodness and mercy will follow us. And we will not lack for anything eternal, for we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? That's good stuff. When you're facing a new day, that the God who abides will never leave you or forsake you. And the God who overrides has a unique plan and purpose for you that He's going to underwrite and make sure takes place. And then the God who provides. Let me finish with this story. I may have actually told this to you a few years ago, um, but um, if you're anything like my congregation, um, they forget it about three weeks later, and so do I. So we all need to be reminded, here's what it is. Danny Simpson, if he'd have known his guns, he might not have robbed the bank in Ottawa, Canada. Because in 1990, in Ottawa, Canada, the 24-year-old went to jail and his gun went to the museum. He was arrested for robbing a bank of $6,000, and he went down for six years. The gun that he had held the bank up with was a used .45 caliber Colt semi-automatic that turned out to be an original and an antique. It was made by the Ross Rifle Company in Quebec City and it was made in 1918, and at auction, it sold for $100,000. All right? Poor Danny. He held a bank up for $6,000 with a gun worth 100000 You know? Um, 
Ignorance is not bliss. <laughs> but the laugh is on us as much as it was on him. You know, we, we rob ourselves of so much peace and stability and courage and hope because we forget the God we have, the God who abides, and the God who overrides, and the God who provides, the God who was with the fathers of the nation of Israel, and the God who was with Moses, and the God who was with Joshua is with us. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We remember the words of Adoniram Judson that the future is as bright as the promises of God and what a bright promise you've given us in Joshua 1 verse 5. We thank you for our time in the Word. We trust we have, um, we have divided it correctly and we've understood it properly. We thank you for what we have discovered about your nature, that you're, you're, you're eternal and immutable and sufficient. We thank you for what we have learned about the fact that you, you use every one of us in unique ways, and we, we shouldn't try to be someone else, but be our best selves in God and, and try to embrace the, the plan you have for us and be undaunted in, in however daunting the future looks. But Lord, as we have been in the Word, we pray that the Word might be in us. We know right now is a dangerous moment we're thinking lunch, we're thinking getting our kids, we're thinking of jumping in the car, we've got plans for the day. And James warns us that this moment is dangerous because having looked into the mirror of the Word, we can be like a man that looks into the mirror and doesn't comb his hair or wash his face. We can look into the Word, we take encouragement, we want to change, we want to have greater faith, we want to repent of unbelief, and it'll all get lost in the car lot. Help us to fight against that. May your word dwell in us richly. May we hide it in our heart that we may not sin against you. We thank you that we can face a new day starting tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.